Well, welcome to Cornerstone today, guys. Good to see everyone. Today is Palm Sunday. Um, just as the scripture reading we just said, can you believe next week is Easter? Um, and Palm Sunday was, uh, you know, Jesus was coming from Jericho up to Jerusalem. He came to Bethany and Bethpage, which are just right over the hill from Jerusalem, right on the other side of the hill of the Mount of Olives. And I can tell you from being there, when you get to the top of the Mount of Olives, it is an incredible sight. You look down, as soon as you reach the top, and you're looking down on the Temple Mount. And so there's quite a big elevation change, you're looking down on it, and it's pretty magnificent now because you've got that whole area, you see the city walls, you see now the Dome of the Rock that is there with that gold roof. But in the time of Jesus when he was there and he saw uh, the, the temple there, um, that temple was much larger, uh, twice, almost three times as tall as the Dome of the Rock is now. It would have been breathtaking to see that. You get to the top of the hill there and, and everybody's shouting, uh, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and, they're, and they're looking for that military, you know, political leader that's going to come in and free them from Roman oppression. You're looking right down on the eastern gate. You can see people going in and out of the temple. And, and Jesus proceeded on that Palm Sunday to enter Jerusalem. Now, we know what happened later that week. We know how he was betrayed. We know the crucifixion. We know later that he resurrected. And, and that's really what Easter is all about. But I just want you to think for a minute, right? When he was coming in, the people, they were looking for a Savior, but they really didn't see the Savior. They really weren't looking for the right thing. And, and today, we're going to be talking about what we actually see. Um, kind of leading up to Easter, I, I'm going to be sharing some devotions online this week about the Holy Week, and so you can check out our Facebook page, and um, I'll be posting them there, and I uh, may post them on our website as well, but you can kind of follow along this week, and I'll kind of walk you through the week leading up to Easter. And, and I'll just mention one more time, please think about who you can invite to join us. It's amazing. Um, one study I, I saw said 80% of people uh, would come to church if a friend or neighbor invited them. Um, and that's just the simple truth. And I think that so many people would come if they knew someone was there to meet them or sit with them or they knew they wouldn't be alone when they got there. So really think about who you can invite to join, join us next week. Next week we're going to be talking about the story of Peter and how the resurrection changed his life. And, um, and, it, and it can change ours as well. So I'm excited about next week. Hope you guys are too. We're in this series called For the One. The Savior Who Seeks and Saves. Um, the first week we talked about Luke chapter 15. Uh, the three parables about how Jesus pursues the lost, how he pursues the forgotten, how he pursues the rebellious, the prideful, really how he pursues all of us. Um, last week uh, Larry shared about how Jesus pursued the despised and rejected. Um, and today we're going to look at how he just keeps on pursuing us, how he doesn't give up on us. And um, it, it's really going to be, uh, I love the, the passage that we're studying today. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 9. We'll get there in a little while, um, but I'll give you some time to, to, to kind of catch up and get there. Um, today, I just want to ask you something, and, um, and just, I want you to think about this. Do you believe that anyone can get saved? 
Do you believe that anyone can get saved? If you do, then do you always really act like it? I think sometimes, maybe even subconsciously, we assume that some people aren't worth the effort to reach out to. Um, there's a bias sometimes in how we treat other people. Maybe it's based on where they live. Maybe it's based on where they're from, what they look like, how much money they make, their race, what they've done, their past, uh, their mistakes. Their, I, I could go on and on. And, and di- different ways we look at people, and sometimes we look right by them. We don't really see them. We don't really think about them. Um, and and I, I would say we're even desensitized sometimes. Um, because we just, we're kind of in our own little world. We go from, you know, home to work and to the store and to the school and back, and we don't always notice the people we come into contact with. I don't know, um, sometimes, uh, you know, you'll go to a new city and you're driving around and you really see the houses and you see the people and you're like, and you kind of form opinions about the city, like this is a rough place, or this is a nice place, or I would want to live here, or I wouldn't want to live here, right? But do you kind of view your own community in the same way? Do you really see people? I think that sometimes we really are desensitized to the hardship, the pain, the poverty, sometimes that we are surrounded by. And and I want you to think about Jesus because Jesus wasn't like that. He saw the people that everyone else ignored, right? Maybe you've been in a a big city and and, and you've been walking down the street and you'll see a homeless person and and we've trained ourselves, right? Just keep your eyes forward. Don't look at them. Don't make eye contact. Just keep moving. You know, sometimes we do that, right? But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus saw people who were hurting. Jesus saw the people who were rejected. Jesus saw them, and and he he interacted with them. He talked to them. He treated them as real people with real needs. In the passage we're looking at today, Jesus seeks someone out, not once, but he seeks them out two different times. And and the focus of of this seeking out is about a man who was born blind. And we'll find it in John 9. And at the start of the, the story, Jesus sees this blind man, man that no one else sees. Every, his disciples, everyone else is just, go, you know, they're in a hurry. Let's get to the next place. And, and Jesus sees this man, walks up to him, and starts interacting with him. Um, and, and so he, Jesus really, he walked right up in front of him start, and started talking to him. It, it's interesting, last week, Larry preached about the pool of Bethesda. You remember the, the story about the man being healed that couldn't get down to the water? Um, this week I'm talking about a story about the pool of Siloam. Now, what's really interesting to me, and, and this just, I, I don't know, there's just something about that this blows my mind when you understand and, and realize this. Those are both real places that you can go to today. Through excavation work, they have found both the pool of Bethesda and the pool of Siloam. So you can actually go to the Pool of Bethesda, walk down in it, and, and see where it was and see uh, you know, how, you know, how just exactly where it was in, in the old city. The Pool of Siloam was built by King Hezekiah 2,700 years ago. Um, and, and interestingly enough, they found it just a few years ago. Just another example of how archaeology keeps pointing us back to trust the Bible. I, found, I actually found... And this is kind of the backstory, so you can understand what the 
pool of Siloam was. I think it'll help us understand the story a little bit later. I found a short little video that I want to show that explains how they found it, and you can actually see where it was. In 2004, at the southern end of the city of David, the place where Jerusalem began, a sewage pipe explodes. The municipality sends in construction workers to repair the sewage pipe. But the city of David is not just another part of Jerusalem. And here, when a sewage pipe bursts, you don't only send in construction crews, you also have to send in archaeologists. And they begin to hear from the bulldozers and dump trucks scraping and scratching. It doesn't sound right. They clear everyone out. And it turns out that in repairing the sewage pipe, the construction crews had inadvertently uncovered a series of ancient stone steps dating back thousands of years. And they realized they had discovered the steps leading down to the Pool of Siloam, the Shiloach Pool. Now what was the Pool of Siloam? To answer that question, we have to go back some 2,700 years to the time of the biblical King Hezekiah, direct descendant of King David. Now at that time, the armies of King Sennacherib of Assyria are marching on Jerusalem. Hezekiah understands there's going to be war, and he begins making his preparations, and one of the main things he does is to divert the waters of the Gihon Spring, the life source of Jerusalem during the times of the Bible, to flow entirely within the walls of the city of David. The Bible mentions that it was Hezekiah who builds the Pool of Siloam. Where I'm standing right now in the Pool of Siloam dates back some 2,000 years to the end of the Second Temple period. However, archaeologists believe that the original Pool of Siloam, dating back to the time of Hezekiah, is located directly beneath my feet. The Pool of Siloam has significance not just for protecting the water of Jerusalem, but also for another reason. The Bible tells us that there were three times during the year, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, when all of Israel would have to go on pilgrimage up to the temple. Now before you can do that, one must purify themselves. The Pool of Siloam was a giant ritual bath, or mikvah, to allow the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of pilgrims going up to the temple to first purify themselves before beginning their ascent up to the temple from here at the Pool of Siloam. When you're in the place where the Bible happened, the words of the Bible come to life. The City of David. City of David. I think that's pretty cool. I think that's super cool that we actually stood in the place where he filmed that. I stood right there, and you can see the actual steps that were there at the Pool of Siloam from the time of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And again, if you're, and it just, if you're here and you're like, I don't really know about this Bible thing. I don't know really whether I can trust it or not. Again, what other book has such uh, support from both inside, outside, archaeology, uh, historians? It, it just, it really is. You can see the truth come to life there. And so that's kind of a little bit of backstory. They, um, they has, there's, a, there's a water tunnel that he talked about it a little bit. It's called Hezekiah's Tunnel that goes under uh, kind of, it's, it's, it's deep underground now, but it's through rock. They, King Hezekiah carved a, a tunnel out through the rock um, that leads from the Gihon Springs down to the Pool of Siloam. It's almost a half a mile in length underground, um, and you can walk through that today that tunnel that he carved out with water flowing through it coming up to your knees. And if you're a little claustrophobic, you may not want to do that. But it's super cool to be walking through a tunnel that was carved out 2,700 years ago. And they carved it from two different directions and met right like within like a six inches of each other. It's pretty crazy. So anyway, enough history for today. That's what I wanted you to see, though. 
is that the Pool of Siloam was important because that's where you were ceremonially cleansed so that you could enter the temple. Keep that in mind. Let's, um, we'll kind of jump right in. Here's the first point I want you to understand this morning. Jesus, he noticed the overlooked. The, the people that everyone else would walk right by, the people that you, know, you would see and just kind of keep your eyes straight ahead and, and let's not make eye contact because if we make eye contact, we've got to talk to them. Those were the people that Jesus was drawn to. John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. The rabbi, his disciples, asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sin? So so let me just explain. During the time of Christ... Blind people and, and people with other physical deformities uh, were considered really to be a burden to society. And most of them were left by their family and end up really destitute. They would end up begging for food and, and, and begging for money. They would end up in the streets. They were looked down upon. Uh, they were kind of the lowest class in society. They didn't have any wealth. They didn't have any power. Uh, people rejected them. They were overlooked. Um, and, and people would just walk right by them. Um, and, but Jesus was an exception. He didn't walk right by. In fact, he noticed people, especially the people that were hurting. Um, if you look into the previous chapter of John, in John chapter 8, um, we read that Christ had gotten himself in trouble, uh, as happened many times with the religious leaders, and they were mad at him. They were getting ready to stone them, and then he kind of escaped, Right? So he was fleeing from a mob that wanted to kill him, and yet he had time to stop and notice. That tells you a lot about the character of God. That tells you a lot about his heart. Even when he was in trouble, he noticed other people. Um, With that in mind, you've got the comfort to know that God cares and sees you. He wants to develop that close relationship with us. He, he cares about us when we're hurting. He notices us when we feel overlooked and unseen. And so we see that. And then the disciples kind of throw a curveball. And they're like, okay, they saw the man. They saw Jesus interacting with the man. But they didn't really see him, right? They just saw him as, well, why are you talking to him? Well, there's got to be a reason for his blindness, that, that was kind of their thinking, right? Um, and and they tended to blame people for the problems they face. And so they're like, if he's blind, then he's done something to deserve it. Maybe he sinned. Maybe he did something wrong. Maybe his parents did. But in essence, what I think they were doing, and I think we do the same thing, they were rationalizing why they were ignoring him. If they could say it was his fault... He's in this shape because of something he did, then it makes us feel better for keep on, keeping on walking. We do the same thing, don't we? You see somebody begging at the street corner, well, I bet they're on drugs. <laughs> you see somebody uh, that's hurting, well, I bet they, you know, I, 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 you know whatever it is, we'll, we'll make an excuse for, you know, maybe they quit their job or maybe uh, they're, you know, we just, we, if we can come up with an excuse for why they're in the situation they're in, It helps us to dehumanize them and keep walking. And Jesus, again, he was so different, and he was kind of confronting that. He said that he kept going in verse 3. He said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered, 
This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground. He made mud with saliva. He spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others knew him as a blind beggar, asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? I think what the disciples failed to understand, they failed to understand grace, right? Jesus answered them and pointed them away from sin and pointed them towards the glory of God. He's, this man's not born blind because of anything he's done or anything anyone else has done. He's born blind so that God's glory could be displayed in him. God's power could be displayed in him. Sometimes we don't understand the reasons we end up in the predicaments we are in. Sometimes it is something we have done. But often there is no explanation. And it's in those moments, it's in those times when God can show up and show off. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, you know, he, 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 he spit in the mud and made this little mud mixture and wiped it on the guy's eyes. And, and um, there's a pastor not long ago somewhere else. I won't tell who. You, he actually did that on stage. He like spit and wiped it. That's just gross. That's messed up. So I, I'm not going to do that as an object lesson today. Is that all right with you guys? I read a few things like, why would, why would this, this have some significance? Uh, do you ever like that? Do you ever like, okay, maybe the mud has significance here. And, and I read a few things and a few people said, oh, it has this significance or this is what it meant. I just think it's weird, okay? And it's all right that it's weird. Um, it, we don't have to understand why Jesus did it. We know he did do it. But what he is asking the man is to trust him, to demonstrate some faith. He didn't heal him immediately. Jesus had the power to do that. He wiped this mud on his eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The place where if you go and wash, again, it's the place where uh, it's the mikvah, the place you would go and be ceremonially cleansed so that you then you could walk up that long street that leads into the temple. And In other words, what he's showing the man is if you go and wash in the pool of Siloam, you'll be clean. You, you'll be accepted back into society. Because he couldn't enter the temple because of his blindness. And he was an outcast. He was rejected. What he is showing him, you go and wash in the pool of Siloam, you'll be part of society again. You won't be an outcast any longer. And so it wasn't just Jesus healing him physically. It was him telling this blind man that he could be part of society again. That he would be accepted. So at this point in the story, we're like, man, this is turning out good. This is great, right? Jesus is healing this guy. Everybody's going to see it and, and be amazed. And that's what we would expect. But that kind of brings me to my next point. Meeting Jesus doesn't simplify your life. I think sometimes we think, man... You know, when I, when I put my faith in Jesus, everything's going to fall into place. It's going to be simple. It's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And this man kind of, once he had his sight back, um, man, it, things don't quite turn out that way. We mistakenly think that meeting Jesus makes life simple. This man was healed. Now he's thinking, 
uh, he's going to have a life free from problems. But that's not what happens. His problems don't really disappear. In fact, they just grow. The next 26 verses of chapter 9 are all about the problems that he now faces. His life has been restored. He's met the Savior. He doesn't really know who's healed him at this point yet. The people start asking him, aren't you the one who used to beg and were blind? What happened? He just said, this guy named Jesus, he made some mud. He put it on my eyes and, and now I, I did what he said and now I have sight. And then they brought him to the Pharisees and in typical fashion, they were mad because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They were upset. And they even got his parents. They brought his parents in to say, is this your son? Or do we, they, they didn't even believe this was the same guy. And they're like, okay, tell us, is this your son? And they're like, hey, it's our son, but we didn't have any part of this. So they're like, keep us out of it. Because they didn't want to be kicked out of the temple. This was all like, this, they just, the Pharisees, the religious leaders kept questioning him. And I'll skip ahead to, to verse 24. The, the second time they were questioning him. For the second time they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. And verse 25, I absolutely love this verse. I don't know whether he's a sinner, the, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. This is like the ultimate comeback. He's like, I don't care. I'm not getting caught up in your drama. I don't care what you're trying to make me say or think. or believe. I don't know. I don't care. Here's what I do know. I was blind and now I can see. I've been changed. I've been healed. All right. But what did he do? They asked, how did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? He starts getting snarky here. I love it. Why did you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? I love that there's some personality showing through here, right? He's like, I've already told you once. Do I need to repeat myself again? Aren't you listening? Oh, maybe. I know what it is. You want all the details, so you can just start following Jesus too. Now, you can imagine how this made the religious leaders feel. He's just telling them, I'm not getting sucked into your drama. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> this is why the, the Pharisees got upset, though. They couldn't explain it. There is no explanation that makes sense. Scientifically, there is no explanation. Relationally, there is no explanation. They, ha they cannot understand this. And so the Jews in Christ's day, they lived in this illusion that every suffering is caused directly by a sin they commit. And, and while some sin can definitely lead to suffering, it can lead to illness, it can lead to problems... In many cases, suffering is just a result of the broken world we live in. It's a result of sin, but not personal sin. It's, a, it's the curse of sin. The curse of sin that has broken our relationships, that has broken nature, that is called sickness, death, and disease. Sometimes suffering is just a result of the brokenness that surrounds us. People ask all the time, well, why is there evil in the world? Why does this happen? Why do bad things happen? Why... Because we live in a broken world. This world is not the way that God designed it. It's not the way that God intended it. It is broken because of what Adam and Eve did. But the good news that we have as believers is that that's not the way this world is going to be forever. That God is coming back to restore this world to the way that it was intended to be. 
And so we just got to keep that in mind here. And this was an example of God bringing heaven to earth to show them a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And so his life, you know, this man, this man that was born blind, he could have blamed his parents. He could have blamed himself. He could have blamed society. Um, but instead of that, he just realized, I was blind, but now I'm not. I was blind, but now I see. I love this story for that reason. But his life, it's not going to be far from simple now. Everybody's out to use him as a pawn to get to Jesus. And that's really what they're doing. They don't care that this man has been... You know, you would think the religious leaders would be saying, this is a miracle, this is amazing. We are so happy with you. We're going to celebrate with you. Instead, they're like, we're going to use you so we can get back at Jesus. Here's what... first. In, in the New Testament, Peter talks about suffering sometimes. And sometimes we don't have a, a great explanation. Verse Peter 2, it says this, Of course you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten, beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Sometimes we suffer even when good things happen. Sometimes we suffer even when we follow Christ. And the truth is, Christ suffered. Why do we expect that we get off the hook without suffering ourselves? All right? It brings us closer to Christ when we suffer. And so God puts more importance on how we develop our character rather than our comfort. And we need to remember that sometimes. Uh, if we keep going in the story, verse 28 they got mad, but this guy got snarky with them. Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Uh, wow, that's very strange, the man replied. replied. He healed my eyes, and you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. The amazing thing here is the man born blind, the man who was rejected by society, the man who was overlooked, he had more spiritual knowledge than the religious leaders. Right? I mean, when you read this story, he's the one that's teaching them. He's like, this couldn't even happen if this man wasn't from God and you don't even know him. Instead of accepting what happened, they made the blind man out to be a problem. Andrew Patterson said this. He said, Jesus is a very serious threat to the religious authorities. He has suggested that favor with God is something that can't be earned by the efforts of sinners, but can only be received by the grace of God. And if this is true, then even the tax collectors, the moral failures, can be forgiven. And this is unacceptable to the religious hierarchy. So there is no way that they are willing to accept that Jesus can heal a blind man. It's just that the evidence is so overwhelming that they have to find a way to discredit it. So they tried to discredit it on theological grounds. Jesus had healed the man on the Sabbath, their special religious day. And it's against their rule book. Or others wonder if there's been a switch. Maybe this man who can now see isn't actually the one who was born blind. Then they try to pressure the witnesses. Then they finally try to discredit the witness on grounds of their understanding of Moses. 
And, but what we see is that it's just exposing them for who they are. They're not seeing Jesus for who he really is. James says this in the New Testament, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We think when we meet Jesus, it's going to fix all my problems. It's going to make life easy. It's going to pull me out of any suffering or, or, or hardship that I might face. But Jesus says it's through those times where you can have great joy. It's through those times that you're being made complete. Let it grow. Let it come because through that you are developed to be more like Jesus. And that's the ultimate goal for every one of us as believers. We want to be more like Jesus. And so, again, I think we pray so often, God, take this problem from me instead of God, shape me to be more like Jesus through this. That's a scary prayer, right? God, just use this. Use whatever I'm encountering to make me more like Jesus. And so, if, you're, if your life as a, as a Christian has been pretty smooth sailing, be prepared. Because that time is coming when you will be tested. When that time comes, it's my hope that you're going to have courage, you're going to have faith, you're going to have boldness. Just like this man, when he's confronted with the religious leaders who are trying to use him, who are trying to tear him down, he just stood up and he just told the truth. Here's what I do know. I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was blind, now I can see. Right? I love it. That's, that's what no one else can debate when you share your testimony about how you've been changed. No one else can debate that. They can debate all sorts of stuff about the Bible, but when you say, this is what I know, I used to be this way, but God changed me and transformed me. This is how I am now. That's, I'm telling you, that's, 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 a, that's a solid, strong testimony. That's how we need to be. We need to be bold for Jesus. Let's keep going. I love this story because it doesn't end here. And it shows us, this is the next point, God never gives up on us, but all too often we give up on Him. All too often we give up on Him. When Jesus had sent Him away, this wasn't the end of the story. Uh, Jesus didn't give up on Him. He pursued and found this man for the second time. Remember now, when Jesus put the mud on the, eye, on the guy's eyes and sent him away, this guy has never seen Jesus. Right? He was blind. And since he has got his sight back, he doesn't know what Jesus looks like. Jesus sought him out and found him a second time. Verse 35, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. So Jesus, I'm sure by this point, Jesus has heard that this man has been kicked out of the synagogue and, and really, by, you know, in effect, kicked out of society once again. You know, he, he's just got his hopes up and he'd been cleansed. He can now be part of society. Now the religious leaders are kicking him back out again. And so Jesus seeks him out and he finds him. Now, at the time the book of John was written, the Jewish people, or the early Christians, I should say, um, were being persecuted, the, especially the Christians from Jewish backgrounds. And, 
And they were facing persecution. They were uh, facing, facing a lot of hardship. And when they would read this, I'm sure that they would understand that Jesus sympathized with what they were going through. Hearing for the problems that he's facing, Jesus finds the man. He asks him if he believes in the Son of Man. Now, um, you know, in effect here, the Son of Man, this was an expression that they were familiar with. It actually came, um, it was a term about a messianic prophecy from Daniel chapter 7. And so this, when they would hear this phrase, the Son of Man, which literally means just that you're human, right? But it had this messianic component that God would be coming in human form. Um, what, when they would hear that Jesus saying, I'm the Son of Man, what they are hearing is Him making a messianic prophecy. He's saying, I am the Messiah. In, in essence, that's what He's saying. That's why the man says, hey, I don't know who He is, but if I meet Him, I want to know Him. And he's, Jesus reveals Himself, and He worships Jesus. And by this time, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's kind of putting two and two together. He recognizes the voice that had called out to him before. He realizes what has happened. And what, uh, the reason I, I think this is so important, that the first time the man met Jesus, he was physically healed. But this time, he's completely healed. And it, sometimes it takes more than one encounter with Jesus before we see people's lives changed. And it just shows that God doesn't give up on us. He is there for us. He'll keep coming back time after time after time. I love the fact that God doesn't give up on us. But so far too often what we do, we give up on Him. We keep walking farther and farther away. We harden our hearts. We, we don't listen. We, don't, we get stubborn and we just keep going our own way. And it's our own spiritual blindness that drives us farther and farther away from God. In the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, it says, But you, Lord, you are a compassionate, you are a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's who God is. We think He doesn't care about us or we get upset with Him because He doesn't do what we want Him to do. We treat God sometimes like uh, you know, this vending machine where we put in a coin and we press the button and we say, This is what we want, God. Give it to me. And we get upset when life doesn't turn out that way. Uh, and sometimes I think we give up on God when our prayers don't get answered the way we want them to get prayed. But if Jesus is going to be our Lord, that means we've got to trust Him with whatever answer He gives us when we pray. And it may be, yes, your prayer is right, I'm going to answer it. It may be it's not ready yet, it's not time yet, you need to slow down. It may be an answer of no. That this isn't what's best for you. Are we going to trust Him when He answers our prayers? He will answer your prayers. He just may not answer it the way you want Him to. And so this man, again, he when he recognized Jesus for who He was, all he could do was worship Him. And, and when Christ comes knocking at our heart, how are we going to respond? I love Revelation 3.20. It says, uh, stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice, if you open the door, I'm going to come in. We'll share a meal together as friends. That's, that's the relationship that God wants with us. He is knocking at the door of our heart. This man responded, but how do we respond? And I just want to challenge you, don't give up on God because he's not going to give up on you. And I'll kind of keep going. There's one more verse that we've got to talk about, verse 39. And it leads me to my last point. Jesus asked us to recognize our own blindness. 
This is, I think, when we kind of take the application from this passage and say, how does this affect me? This is what, what we've got to do. He says in verse 39, Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Just as the man in this passage, he's blind, he's unable to see Jesus. The same thing applies to the Jewish leaders. They were blind. The, the religious leaders, they were spiritually blind. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. And Jesus said, the reason I came is to open people's eyes. To help them to see those that think they are blind. To help them to see, to give them sight. That's why he came. It went right over their head when they saw Jesus. When they saw this miracle being performed, they should have stopped and said, this is from God. Why is that? Who is this? What's going on here? Let's talk to Jesus. Let's meet him. Let's get to know him. Let's study. Let's learn from him. Instead, they were mad at him because he threatened their way of life. And so, I would just say, there's a lot of people in this world that are threatened by God. Because he threatens their way of life. It threatens the way they sin. It threatens the way they live. It threatens their lifestyle choices. It threatens everything about them. So instead of seeing Jesus for who he really is, they're going to reject him. They're going to push him away. They're going to try to discredit him. They're going to try to make excuses about him. They're doing the exact same thing that the religious leaders did 2,000 years ago. 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world... He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And I think this is the most dangerous type of blindness in the world today. And it's all around us. And I think it's growing more and more. People are spiritually blind. They don't want to hear. They don't want to see because it's going to force them to change the way they live. They're threatened by God. And we've got to understand if we acknowledge our blindness, blindness, that's when we can turn to Christ. But the first step before we can get saved is understanding how spiritually blind we really are. And so Psalm 19 says this, it says, Open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. That needs to be a prayer today. God, will you open my eyes to see your truth? God, will you open my eyes to see people as you see them? God, will you open my eyes to help me know how glorious you really are? I just think that's our daily prayer. God, open my eyes to see the world as you see it. God, open my eyes to see your, your will. Open my eyes to see you in everyday life. And I, I'm just telling you, God's going to keep coming back to us. He's not going to give up to us, give up on us. We've got to be open and ready to, to hear from Him and to work with Him. Salvation, it is a free gift of God. And this man found it in Jesus. And so my question again for you this morning is, do you know Jesus? I mean, that's what we keep coming back to in all the stories. We see how Jesus pursues each and every person. He doesn't give up on us. Acts 4 says this, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And... John chapter 14, Jesus answered, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you recognize who Jesus is? Not just some good teacher, not just a a storyteller, not just a compassionate person, but God in human flesh, God who came to this world to to set things back in order, to make us right before God, to rescue us from the brokenness that surrounds us. That's who Jesus is. That's why He lived the life He lived. That's why He went to the cross on our behalf. That's why He died for us, because of His love for us. And it's when we put our faith in Jesus... It's when it changes or transforms our life. It sets us out on a new journey, not to simplify our life, but to give meaning and purpose to our life. And so I want you to think about that as you go through this week, as this Palm Sunday, Jesus entered Jerusalem. People are looking at him and they're thinking, he's the one that's going to save us, but they're looking for the wrong thing. They're looking for a political savior. They're not looking for a spiritual savior. Again, I think a lot of people in our world today are in that same boat. They're looking for someone to save us politically, not spiritually. And so we've got lost people all around us. Do you see them? I want to challenge you this week. Who is your one that you're going to, you're witnessing to, you're inviting, you're investing you're, you're helping them to know, hey, I want, I, just, it's as simple as saying, I'm learning so much about who Jesus is. Why don't you come to church with me and we can learn together? It's just saying, it's Easter. We're going to have a great service plan. Come and go to church with me. It's just having spiritual conversations. Who can you invite next week to come with you? Because I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be an opportunity for people to hear the gospel about Jesus. And so we're going to close in prayer today. I want you to be thinking about it as we close. That In your prayer, just God, open our eyes this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for all of us, as we open your word, as we study, as we learn from it, I'm so grateful that we can trust the Bible. We can see these are real places and real people and real events that truly happen. But let us take it more than just a history lesson. Help us to see how it's a lesson for how we live our life today. Help us to understand that you are calling us to go out and see people just as you see them. So Heavenly Father, we pray that this week, that you would open our eyes to see the world around us in a new and a fresh way. You would help us to see those who are hurting, those who are outcasts, those who are wondering. That you would help us to, to, to be bold and courageous enough to tell people, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. I once was angry, but now I'm not. I once was messed up, but now I'm not. I once was, whatever it is, Lord, help us to be bold in sharing how you've transformed our life. And if you're listening today, no matter where you're at, whether you're here, whether you're online, my prayer for you is that you know this Jesus we're talking about. You really know Him. Not just know about Him, not just know the facts, not just know Jesus as a historical figure, but you know Him as your Lord, the one who is the master of your life, the one that knows you so much better than you even know yourself. And so my prayer today would would be, would you trust Him? Would you surrender your life to Him? Would you make Him the Lord of your life? Would you worship Him just as this blind man did? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We're thankful for the grace. We're, we, we confess, we ask for forgiveness when we fall short so many times in so many ways. 
But our prayer, Lord, is that you would help us to be more like Jesus every single day. Lord, we just thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.